Welcome to a talk from St Saviour Sunbury. We hope it blesses you. Good morning, my name is Ron. I'm the vicar here. Thanks for that, Effie. Uh, we are in our final week of looking at our church values. Uh, hopefully we've got a little video to remind ourselves of the four values that we hold very dearly to St Saviour's. So in the final week, we're just having a look at the value of service. We offer ourselves to others, encouraging each other to use and develop the gifts God has given us. Every person has a unique part to play in serving God through church and community. We work as a team, a body. All gifts are equally important. We celebrate our uniqueness as we give, serve, pray, and invite. And uh, to help us with that value, uh, Julia is going to come and read to us from Ephesians 4. Verse 4 to 7 and 11 to 13. If you'd like to take out your Bibles, get it up on your apps. Ephesians 4, verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Okay, so we're in the letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesian church. Uh, Do grab a Bible so you can have a read-through as I'm talking about it, and the hosting team will be able to help you out if you put your hand up if you haven't got one. When St. Paul wrote this letter, he was imprisoned in Rome, and he was writing it to this uh, church in Ephesus, which is in modern-day uh, Turkey. I was, uh, I've actually visited Ephesus. I was actually thrown out of Ephesus. I will tell you about that. That was before I became a Christian, uh, if you want to know. Uh, Paul was in prison for having too effectively proclaimed the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Imagine a world where I stood up and I proclaimed the good news that is in Jesus Christ and I was imprisoned because of it. Well, you know the reality is that we do, in fact, live in a world like that today. So the Romans, their leadership then, thought they could stop the spread of Christianity if they silenced its leaders. Sometimes that strategy works, but very commonly it backfires. Try and silence Roe from preaching the gospel and see where it gets you. There's a few slides to go with the next couple of points. Verses 4 to 7, we can just briefly note four things. Uh, Everyone who follows Jesus has been given a gift. Everyone who follows... Everyone who follows... Has been given a gift. Everyone, period. Point number two. Jesus distributes these gifts according to his purpose. Who? Jesus. Jesus distributes these gifts according to his purpose. Paul emphasizes the importance of unity in the passage. The spiritual body must be unified, but unity doesn't imply uniformity. 
is a careful difference between those two words. Not everyone has to have my ironic haircut or wear my skinny jeans. You don't all have to look like me. Phew. We're not all given the same gifts and talents. Now, I confess, sometimes I would love to be able to sing like Sarah, or play the piano like Laura, or play the cello like Sarah. But I've told you before, don't stand in front of me when I'm singing. It won't be a pleasant experience. Point number three. Since gave us these gifts, we should use them. Okay, every Christian is in the ministry. I don't know where you've been before, how much you know about church, but when you look at me and you think that I'm a minister, I'm doing ministry, that isn't true. Each one of us called by Jesus is in the ministry. We are all serving. And each one of us needs to carefully consider what gifts God has entrusted to us and ask how he wants us to use those gifts. Number four. Using your God-given gifts to serve is a privilege. It is a privilege. When you are tempted to quit serving God because somebody has hurt you or disappointed you or because they haven't thanked you quite as much as you think you should have been thanked, just stop for a moment before you do that and consider the unearned, undeserved privilege it is to serve Jesus Christ. P.S. If you don't know your gifts and talents, talk to my wife, Rowena. She'll help you out. PPS. If you do know your gifts and talents, but you don't know where to serve, speak to Julie. Where's Julie? Speak to that lady there. PPPS. If you already know your gifts and talents and you're already serving, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. Can I do a PPPPPS? No, probably not. All throughout the letter, it's a brief letter, It will take you about 20 minutes to read the whole letter. You take it home. It's a great, encouraging letter. It'll take you about 20 minutes to read it. All throughout the letter, Paul is drawing its readers, us today, to look again at Jesus. To see him as the source of every spiritual blessing that you have. To be overwhelmed with gratitude for the gift of salvation. The fact that God has called us by name. The fact that God has set us free from what Christians call sin and death. That he has given us new life. That gift of salvation which has made made possible through the cross. Through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Paul's reminding his readers of the mercy of God. That Jesus has obtained for us an inheritance. That there's a seal on this promise. And that he's given us the Holy Spirit to continue the work of radical transformation in our lives. I wonder where we've heard that word or those words, radical transformation, before. You know, our vision to see lives radically transformed in the love and power of Jesus starts with our lives in here. It starts with me. It starts with you. Radical transformation. When you consider all that Jesus has done, how could anyone who claims to follow him not respond with overflowing gratitude? And hey, look, if you're here for the first time, if you don't know about Jesus, if you haven't made up your mind about Jesus, all I ask is that you give us a few weeks, a couple of months, to show you how much he loves you. With all that in mind, I wonder if we would value his instructions in this ancient text. Or or would we treat them these God-inspired words with an attitude of nonchalance, of non-importance, of, well, they don't really apply to me. 
or, or maybe even that we even know better than God. A couple of weeks ago, I think Ro gave you, a, a, if you were here, a Bible challenge, a three-week Bible challenge. Don't worry, I'm not going to be asking for any results just yet. If you're doing it, great. If you've slipped off, pick it back up again. There can be nothing better than for me to point you towards the life-giving words that are contained within this ancient text. Pick up your Bibles and have a look at verse 16. It says, From him, Jesus Christ, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work, its service. God promises that his body, his church, for us, the local church here at St. Saviour's, will grow and build itself up as each part does its work, its service, the value that we're looking at. That is God's assignment. It's not mine. You are serving God's vision for this church, not my vision. Each of us has a responsibility to the local congregation of which we are a part in which God has placed us. Each of us has to do his or her part, make his or her contribution as God intended it. Whether we are teachers or pastors or evangelists or prophets or apostles or kids workers or musicians or chefs or cleaners or gardeners or DIYers. And it was so beautifully played out just over a week ago with Governor B. We had a great example of the church offering its gifts. We had big, girly men on security, Tom and John and Dave and Geraint. Oh, sorry. Sorry, that's burly, not girly. (laughs) Who wrote this stuff? We had some incredible lights by Ollie, one of his gifts and talents, what he does. Amazing lights. Kew Gardens eat your heart out. Great organization by Jess. The fantastic youth band offering their gifts. We had even 45-year-old vicars dancing around like crazy. (laughs) Okay, not so much a gift. But it was a wonderful example of the church coming together to offer its gifts. God has promised that his body, this church, will grow and build itself up in love when we use what God has gifted us with. Friday night's example with hundreds of young people worshipping Jesus in this place is just a glimpse of what is to come. That's the outcome God has in mind for his church. Isn't that a great promise? I'm glad you responded. I thought maybe the dancing had taken you off somewhere. Isn't that a great promise? Yes. Yes, God. Now, apart from the issue of winning and losing ball games, such a promise from God parallels what most coaches desire for their football teams, okay? So as a QPR supporter, if you're into your football, you'll know about QPR. Uh, Unfortunately, I don't have much experience of winning games, but I do happen to understand the theory. So, and as I read this bit out, for coaches, yeah, you're all right, you're a Chelsea supporter, you're fine, you can smile back at me. For coaches... You can substitute vicars, okay? So for coaches, substitute vicars. Coaches want their teams to be well-bonded and strong in team spirit. Coaches want each player to be supportive and encouraging of all the other players. Some of you are nodding. Coaches want each player to make the contribution they are trained and practiced for. 
Coaches want each player committed to following the tasks and jobs they are given. Now, if you didn't know, I'm on the coaching staff of the church here, and I've been assigned the task of lovingly and gently teaching and encouraging the members of this local congregation so that the body is built up. That's what I'm doing now. I'm lovingly and gently encouraging you. I'll also happily kick your butt if you want me to. You choose. The promises that these coaches, the vicars, if you like, will make to their players is that if they, the players, commit to the team vision and the team goals and the team values, if they give themselves heart and soul to them, if they follow the instructions the coaches, the vicars, give, if they encourage and support their fellow players, their team will grow and build itself up in love. And if they don't, the coaches, the vicars, will kick your butt. Now, I realize for some of us guys, that word love, as soon as we hear that, we kind of turn off a little bit. But the coaches, the vicars, me, your vicar, will be committed to doing what is best for the team and for you as individuals. As an aside to the men in the room, at our men's event, What Women Want, the other night, an awesome event, by the way, the gauntlet was laid down for the men in this church to step up to the plate, to become the spiritual fathers, grandfathers, uncles that our children and our youth so desperately need. God wants his team, his body, to be built up by acts of service, serving one another. So here we are, an assembled team of players. Have a look around you. You're free to have a look around See, those are the faces of your teammates. We're on the same team. You're on the same team. Some of you are thinking, I didn't pick you. <laughs> or you. Or you. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. God picked every single person in this room to be on this team at this moment in this church's life. Let that sink in for a second. You are not here by accident. Uh, I have the joy of watching my son play football. On a Saturday morning, one of the things we, uh, we do as parents is that we put uh, church first and everything else comes after that. Uh, well, God first and church. Um, so it means that my son has to play in an East Berkshire League in order to play fixtures on a Saturday morning because all of the local teams play on Sunday mornings, which might well, just be a little bit tricky for me to attend. Or maybe not. Perhaps you'd rather I was there. Uh, so yesterday, I drove to Reading. Every other Saturday, I drive to Reading to watch him play in the bright sunshine. Uh, and he was a substitute for the first, he plays for, the game lasts about, mm, is it two lots of half an hour? He was a substitute for the first half an hour, so I was stood there having driven 45 miles to Reading, uh, watching him stand on the sidelines. And he came over to me and he said, Dad, I think I'm going to get to play the second half. But the coach has already said to me, I'll probably have to play further back. He's a, a winger, a forward, a striker. He likes to score goals. And I told him, I said, well, when you, when you get on, Wherever it is, play for your team. Wherever you get placed, 
play your part for your team and play with a smile on your face. Enjoy what you're doing. Enjoy what you're doing. But he wants to be the striker. He wants to be the one that gets all the glory. <laughs> he wants to be the one that wins matches. It's not always possible, but he had a part to play in that team at that point to help that team achieve what the coach wanted the team to achieve. Try and imagine 100 people showing up for a football team the first week of practice. In the minds of many players, there are some positions like the striker that involve all of the glory. But the reality tells the truth that all the positions are necessary. There is no glory without teamwork. There is no glory in the church without everyone playing their part. The fly half, the winger, the hooker who scores a try must never forget the teammates who laid their lives down for his successful run. See, I can do rugby too. There was a story many years ago of a primary school teacher. Her name was Mrs. Thompson. As she stood in front of her year six class on the very first day of school, she told the children a lie. Like most teachers, she looked at her students and said that she loved them all the same. But that was impossible because there in, front, in the front row, slumped in his seat, was a little boy named Teddy Stoddard. Mrs. Thompson had watched Teddy the year before and noticed that he didn't play well with the other children, that his clothes were messy and that he constantly needed a bath. And Teddy could be unpleasant too. It got to the point where Mrs. Thompson would actually take delight in marking his papers with a broad red pen, marking bold X's and then putting a big F at the top of his papers. At the school where Mrs. Thompson taught, she was required to review each child's past records and she put Teddy's off until last. However, when she reviewed his file, she was in for a surprise. Teddy's reception teacher wrote, Teddy is a bright child with a ready laugh. He does his work neatly and has good manners. He is a joy to be around. His year two teacher wrote, Teddy is an excellent student, well liked by his classmates, but he is troubled because his mother has a terminal illness and life at home must be a struggle. His year three teacher wrote, his mother's death has been hard on him. He tries to do his best, but his father doesn't show much interest and his home life will soon affect him if some steps aren't taken. Teddy's year five teacher wrote, Teddy is withdrawn, doesn't show much interest in school, he doesn't have many friends and sometimes sleeps in class. And by now, Mrs. Thompson realized the problem and she was ashamed of herself. She felt even worse when her students brought her Christmas presents wrapped in beautiful ribbons, bright paper, except for Teddy's. His present was clumsily wrapped in heavy brown paper. Well, Mrs. Thompson took pains to open it in the middle of all the other presents. And some of the children started to laugh when she found a bracelet with some of the stones missing and a bottle that was one quarter full of perfume. But she stifled the children's laughter when she exclaimed how pretty the bracelet was. She put it on, dabbed on some of the perfume on her wrist. Teddy stayed after school that day just long enough to say, Mrs. Thompson, today you smell just like my mum used to. After the children left, she cried for at least an hour. On that very day, she quit teaching, reading, writing, and arithmetic. Instead, she began to teach children. Mrs. Thompson paid particular attention to Teddy, and as she worked with him, his mind seemed to come alive. The more she encouraged him, the faster he responded. 
By the end of the year, Teddy had become one of the smartest children in the class, and despite her lie that she would love all the children the same, Teddy became one of her pets. A year later, she found a note under her door from Teddy telling her that she was the best teacher he had ever had in his whole life. Six years went by before she got another note from Teddy. He then wrote that he had finished high school, third in his class, and, was still the be- and she was still the best teacher he'd ever had in his whole life. Four years after that, she got another letter saying that while things had been tough at times, he stayed in school, had stuck with it, and would soon graduate from university with the highest of honors. He assured Mrs. Thompson that she was still the best and favorite teacher he ever had in his whole life. Then four more years passed, and yet another letter came. This time he explained that after he got his degree, he decided to go a little further. The letter explained that she was still the best and favorite teacher he had ever had, but by now his name was a little longer The letter was signed, Dr. Teddy Stoddard, PhD. The story doesn't end there. You see, there was another letter that spring. Teddy said that he'd met this girl and was going to be married. He explained that his father had died a couple of years ago, and he was wondering if Mrs. Thompson might agree to sit in the place at the wedding that was usually reserved for the mother of the groom. Of course, Mrs. Thompson did. And guess what? She wore the bracelet, the one with several stones missing, and she made sure she was wearing the perfume that Teddy remembered his mother wearing on their last Christmas together. They hugged each other, and Dr. Stoddard whispered in Mrs. Thompson's ear, Thank you, Mrs. Thompson, for believing in me. Thank you so much for making me feel important and showing me that I could make a difference. And Mrs. Thompson, with tears in her eyes, whispered back, Teddy, you have it all wrong. You were the one who taught me that I could make a difference. I didn't know how to teach until I met you. What that story shows me is a woman who got herself in the game realized what the game was about. She'd been stuck on the sidelines. But look at the difference it made to not just Teddy's life, but her life too. And the same, the same can be true for you, young and old. For all the people that you minister to, through the gifts and the talents and in service to God. As we stand on the threshold of an exciting year, ministry opportunities abound. I'm praying that God's spirit will tap you on the shoulder, will nudge you in the right direction, will get you to offer yourself to be equipped for service. Why don't we take a moment as we pray together. For more information about St. Saviour's, please visit our website at www.stsaviorsunbury.org.uk.